back here at Circuit of the Americas. Fox Sports welcomes you to the Texas Grand Prix. It's going to be a hot day. Sports in our favor. Joe's on my wheelhouse, but they wake up to it. Have a good day, boys. Long race, hot race. Execute. See what we get. Start your engines! Hey, remember, uh, this car's got one extra gear today. <laughs> Copy. The Toyota Pace car is now on pit road. Green flag. All rolling here. All rolling. Ryan Blaney leads the Thundering Herd up the hill for the very first time. The one left side, the 12 only. 99 to door. Clear, clear, clear. Suarez takes the inside. Car 99 into spot number one. Shifters get stuck on downshift. Vibration. Did you slide the tires at all? No, I didn't. All is hot. Three to one. Out beyond the high temperatures. It's basically all of our cars. Everybody two here. Water tip when you can. Uh, plus 25. We're good under the... I don't think that was braking issue nope. there, Tony. <laughs> Got a little push from behind. Oh, help. That's my bad. Got the blocking up a rear. Look around, they skittles laying everywhere. Well, we've got a couple of takers here on pit road. Copy. I like it. I bet they do it, man. Over in there. Drivers who stopped at lap 12 or 13, beginning with Austin Sindrick and Tyler Reddick, will lead them back to green. Here they come. Sam Michael, start finish. Start talking. Green flag is out. Austin Sindrick leads the charge to the top of the hill. Standing out everywhere, one coming right side, 99. Watch the spin, get over. Go left, 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 or way out, way out, way out. Sorry, man, we'll get back in this. Body the car, on the car. Like just the car, just the car. Austin Sendrick leads Ross Chastain. Junk, 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 junk. Did I mention it? Junk. Copy on the junk. Your tires really taking. Away. Really, really close up front right now. Inside, at your bumper. We're pitting this time. He is too. Cindric tries to run Chastain wide. Chastain gets the point. Clear your bottom right here. And then oh, they pick in a pit. We're in front of the two. Here we come. Four tires. Remember your wheel. Kenny Hamlin, his first stage win of the season. All right, bud. Let's be aggressive but smart here. You know the two is going to yellow it. Oh, Joe Logano. Sorry, uh, hit the brakes. The rear's locked up on me. We got to go play it. In front of cars, up fast. 16 driving his ass off. H really struggling with some kind of issue here. Your bumper works just as easy as theirs does. We ain't want to race. Give it back to him if you have to. 14 has a handful of these other guys have. Grind it out. Just so you know, buddy, the 14 and the 1 do not get along. Any of us really get along? Well, you know, some better than others. Oh, Joey Hand goes around. Sid got me. Full course caution. Just get turned. If the one comes, we'll follow him in, and we're just going to have to save fuel like crazy. No more time this year. Dump it, Rose. 25 to go, and we're back to green. Ross Chastain, he just has not made a mistake. Stretches out, and you got a comfortable lead. And there is Bubba Wallace. Oh, oh wow. The wheel fell off. Let's just go to the hole. We're done. Done. Somebody's off the track. 14. That should be a pass through, right? First, that's that pass through. I got shoved off. We're sending the penalty on the 14. It's intense over here in the back of the pack. In one. They were four wide right there. And it is Tyler Reddick trying to get to the inside. Clear, clear. Two cars get together. Four up. Probably all broke. I slammed the wall, slammed everybody. 
Still dumping rocks all the way over here off of uh, 15. Just have them save and cool down for a green-white checker here. Here we go. Green-white checker, two laps of overtime. Chastain takes the lead back. That Power move. Strong move. White flag and remind him who he's racing. Here he comes. Moving. Moved him. Chastain, will he answer? And Bowman wants to steal it. The 48 battle with the one. Can't have to move them both. One coming to you. Middle. Oh. Clear. Oh. It got wrecked. And Ross Chastain beats and bangs his way yeah. to the checkered flag. Hell yeah, baby. So proud of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Brandon. Oh, my God. Justin. Yeah, we did it. I couldn't be more proud. I got the best guys, the best driver, the best team on two roads. Track Smack here on TrackSmackRadio.com. Don Hall sitting in here for another week with you. Another exciting, exciting race and a even more exciting finish. Uh, I don't know that we've had, I mean, it's just every week. They just keep getting better and better. Mike Haig from RaceDaySA.com, of course, is here with me as always. And uh, Mike was out at Coda. Mike, was it just as exciting being out there as, as what? I mean, that's a stupid question. Of course, it's going to be even more exciting. But I mean, God, uh, it, it, I, I can't even describe how excited that finish was. I was up jumping around, screaming at the TV, screaming, you know, because I, I really wanted Ross to get that win. And I, I just I had to hold my breath there because I really thought, honestly, I thought what was going to happen is I thought Alex Bowman was going to sneak it out. You're right, Dawn. I'll tell you what. The whole weekend just delivered, if you're a race fan. I mean, we, we came off of an incredible finish the week before at Texas with the IndyCar race. And then I go down the Coda and not knowing what to expect after last year, all the rain we had and, and the whole fiasco there with the, you know, the, the carnage on the track with the wrecks and everything they had last year. This year we had perfect weather. Be, you know, it was beautiful outside, sunny skies, great racing in the truck series, great racing in the Xfinity series. The cup race was amazing. I mean, they had everything going on. I mean, the whole weekend was just full of events, concerts, activities for people to, to see and do. And then we also had the undertaker that showed up to, dr to drive the pace car. I mean, we had it all, but I'll tell you what, when it comes down to it on Sunday, the race, uh, that was one hell of a finish. And like you said, that last lap, you know, I thought Alex Bowman was going to sneak in there and get the win. And then there's Ross getting right back by him. And, he, you know, everybody was on their feet uh, when they came around that last turn on the front straightaway. And it was just the crowd was just so energetic. And I tell you, it was uh, it was uh, the perfect race and the perfect finish for what a NASCAR fan wants. They got it this weekend at Coda. Yeah, they did. And we've got lots of audio from Coda, uh, from different drivers, really and truly the talk of the race 
uh, or the talk after the race was, of course, the finish there with Ross Chastain, A.J. Allmendinger, and Alex Bowman. Uh, but then there was a lot of talk about, you know, other guys in the field. I mean, guys like Daniel Suarez, who had a dominant car all weekend and, and had some issues with the car, ended up getting in the back, raced his way back front, ends up losing power steering. Uh, the finish that he comes away with was just amazing, considering everything that was kind of thrown at them. Uh, which which sucked. But hey, Dawn, you know, uh, we've been talking about, you know, six weeks into the season now, six different winners. We've been talking about new faces at the top of the leaderboard. You mentioned Ross winning the race and Alex finishing second. A lot of people forget about Christopher Bell. He finished a strong third, and that was really incredible. Uh, Chase Elliott had a good finish. He finished fourth. Tyler Reddick, fifth. Blaney was in sixth. Martin Truex Jr. in seventh. Austin Sendrick was eighth. Get this, Eric Jones, top 10 finish again. He gets the ninth place spot, and Austin Dillon cracks the top 10 with the 10th place. But, Don, as I look down the list, you mentioned um, Suarez. He finished 24th, but we had, get this, there were 39 cars that started the race. Sorry, 32 uh, cars on the lead lap at the finish. So that that's just incredible how many cars were still on the lead lap. But I'm looking at the, the, the finish here and the results, and, you know, here's some guys that normally finish up front. Kyle Busch, 28th. Kyle Larson, 29th. Joey Logano, 31st. Kurt Busch, 32nd. Some of these, you know, big guys that normally do well, uh, they're not in the top half of the field. They're really struggling. And I tell you, uh, the the heat is on for these guys to to get with it and get a win and get locked into the uh, to the to the playoffs. So we have a lot of going into the next couple races with. Uh, Richmond coming up, Martinsville, and then Bristol. It's going to get even more intense, I think, the racing action. I, I just, I'm ecstatic right now how everything is going. I can't wait. I mean, I can't either. And I mean, the thing is, is, you know, we've got the, again, a lot that we're going to talk about with the end of the race, but then we had, you know, things that happened during the race, Bubba Wallace losing a tire, yeah. uh, huge penalty, laid out today as a matter of fact or uh with his team and they will not appeal it uh which i mean what are you going to appeal <laughs> we saw we all <laughs> saw the tire go rolling off so he loses his crew chief booty barker for four races loses also two additional crew members as well which that's that's just huge especially because uh a lot of these teams are running skeleton teams yes they are uh, and you know it, it, that you can't afford to really lose anybody much less two people and your crew chief, but NASCAR, they laid out these penalties, especially when it comes to the tire. They laid those out before the season started. Every team knows the situation. And, and Mike, I've listened to several different shows throughout the week. Uh, I've listened to Dave Moody and some others and Dave, Dave said it best. I mean, this is not a tire issue. This is not a lug nut issue. This is a human error issue. This is just guys on pit road and gals not getting that tire on properly and, and that lug nut on tight and it it's coming off. And NASCAR has said, you know, we're not messing around with it. A, because we don't, the main thing is a safety issue. You don't want that tire, you know, rolling off and, and, and bouncing it up into the stands or, you know, coming off and, and going up into the stands or coming off and hitting a, a car or pit crow, you know, a member on pit road, they're dangerous and you just don't want this happening. And NASCAR is not going to mess around with it. And, you know, it, it sucks that you lose a crew chief because of a penalty 
that you know because somebody on pit road didn't get the the, the tire done properly but at the same time, you gotta you gotta nip it in the bud, and these crew chiefs, somebody yeah. screws up. Ultimately, it falls on them. Well, you're right, and we're gonna have Matthew Kemp, our friend Matthew Kemp, on the show a little bit later, and we're gonna have to ask him, you know, what he thinks about this because he's the gas man on one of the one of the crews. I'm I'm kind of curious to know how how he sees it from the crew members, you know, point of view. Are the penalties fair? You know, what what is causing this? Um, there's been some big penalties come down with Brad Keselowski as well, and and it, it's it's affecting the team. And you know, if you lose your your tire changer, your crew chief, that can be that can really hurt these teams. And uh, so I'm curious to see what Matthew has to say. So we'll have to talk to him and be sure and ask some questions about that. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Chase Elliott finishing fourth, and and that had to have been the most uneventful. Fourth. I didn't even know he finished fourth until you said that because I don't recall Chase ever even really being a factor in that race. Um, no. You just didn't hear. I mean, so I guess, you know, he, he ran pretty steady up there. But, uh, you know, to me, the the biggest focus, b- besides how great Ross Chastain was and how, how good track house racing on both teams were honestly though was aj omiting or coming from the back of the field having to come from the back <laughs> of the field and drove his way up there to become you know to put himself in a position uh for the win there at the end and it just came down to good old-fashioned who wants it more mike we're going to talk about that too about this whole pc like the the gentleman's yeah rules and whatever the hell else this crap is uh i say last lap especially last turn you're coming down for the win it's anything goes it's checkers or wreckers that's how i've always known racing yeah, to be. that's the way i always seen it and that's the way they do it at the local tracks i mean i've seen it come down to the wire and i mean people getting shoved and moved out of the way or put it in the wall and i mean it's do or die time and uh so I don't think there should be any kind of gentleman's agreement or anything for the last lap. I mean, maybe you're on lap three of the race or something. You don't want to be taking the guy out that early in the race. But um, last lap, anything goes. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and well, and you know what? Uh, we can kind of throw that rule, though, out about lap three uh, over the next three weeks because we're going to be at short tracks. And, my, you know, the way I've always seen it is anything goes at a short track. You can blame the track. You can blame, the, you know, there's not enough room to maneuver. We can blame dirt at Bristol. We, you know, there's so many different things we're, we're going to hear, you know, because not being familiar with how this car is going to react on these tracks. Other than what we got at the Coliseum, which I'm stoked and hoping that that's what we're going to kind of see is the same over the next three weeks. Uh, I think you're going to see some paybacks. You're going to see some aggression. You're going to see some frustration. Um, and and that's going to make for great drama uh, for us as fans. So, uh, But Mike, you know, you want to talk about great drama uh, I've got, let's kick off our audio. I've got audio and I'm calling this my Ross Chastain compilation. Um, okay. I've got audio from <laughs> Ross Chastain right there on the front stretch as he got out of the car. I think he starts out talking to Regan Smith a little bit, and then it's going to transition to him in a post-race interview with Claire B. Lang, where he gets a little bit more technical with things. So, uh, let's, let's kick off our audio fest here with, uh, with our winner. From uh, Coda Ross Chastain. What was that last lap like, and what is this first win like? I don't know, Regan. That's insane. To um, go up against some of the best with AJ. I mean, I know he's going to be upset with me, but we race hard, both of us, and he owes me one. But when it comes to a cup win, man, 
I can't I can't let that go down without a fight. So Justin Marks, Trackhouse, um, Onyx Holmes, iFly, Advent Health, the Moose, a million Moose members. They better be celebrating tonight all across the country and the world. Phil Surgeon, man, he is so good. People don't know how good this group is. I can't believe Justin Marks hired me to drive this car, Regan. You lost control of that final restart. You get the you get a good restart on the outside, which nobody had done. What did you have to do to make that happen? And how's that watermelon tasting right now? It's never tasted sweeter, I gotta tell you. I don't know. I don't know how we got by, back by. I was so worried about AJ on the second to last restart that I let Tyler drive right by both of us. And AJ's so good. I've learned so much from him. And it was like, how do you go beat the guy? He taught me so much. And I've learned so much from so many people from 417 Speedway back home with my dad. I was thinking about him those late restarts. My dad used to make me race on old tires. And back then, if I raced on old tires, I was not going to win. It was in my head before I even started. And it crossed my mind, like, we're not going to win. We're on old tires. But I, I couldn't think that way. I thought neutral. Chevrolet, everything they do for me, gave me the tools to try to go execute. And we did it. We took the white, and I just didn't want to throw the race away. So I got through the S's okay, and I got onto the backstretch okay. But into 12, I just... I couldn't justify overshooting 12, and I had been locking up the left front, just sliding it in those hairpins 11 and 12 all day, and I just couldn't afford to do it, and I let him get to me, and I should have never done that. But I still thought I had the race, and when he just got me loose in 15, I was so loose there all day, chattered the rears, he got by, and then Alex got inside of me again into the carousel. I was like, I'm, I'm done. And um, I got back to AJ's bumper, and I shoved him into 19. Sure, he's not happy with me, but... With the staring down the barrel of a cup win, um, I just could not let that let that get away. And um, I've learned so much from AJ and so many guys, Alex and, and Tyler, I work with every day uh, with Chevy. And to duke it out with them means the world. Well, there you go. So, again, that was uh, Ross Chastain there. Uh, the first audio was, of course, courtesy of uh, Fox, their Fox coverage there. And then the uh, second piece of audio is uh, courtesy of uh, NASCAR radio over on Sirius XM. Uh, and with Claire B. Lang post-race. So uh, just exciting. I mean, he was so excited. He was eating watermelon, had a watermelon seed stuck on his face throughout the majority of the interview, even wiped his face, and the watermelon seed still stayed there. Those are the things that I notice um, when it comes to that. But Ross Chastain is such a great story. Uh, Mike, we're going to get into his story here in a a little while. Um, But I know we have some more audio with Ross, but also the other part of this story is, of course, the young owner or part owner of the team, Justin Marks, and, you know, a, a former racer himself, uh, a guy that is a young team owner, I mean, in his 40s, I believe, early 40s. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, again, this team himself, Pitbull, uh, this is a team that, you know, they came in, they, they, offered to buy out Ganassi Racing. They they succeeded in that. They set up a brand new um, garage, in, or not garage, I'm sorry, a, a brand new shop and stuff uh, this season. And they said, look, we're all in. We are all in. We're going to be up there com- competing for a championship, we feel. And I know a lot of people probably were like, you know, yeah, all right, whatever. Trackhouse Racing so far, in my opinion, I mean, yes, you've got three of the four Hendrix drivers that are locked in, uh, you know, for the chase. But to me, week in and week out, I mean, I think Ross has been averaging like a second place finish also pretty much throughout the season. I think if you do his his averages, he's been up there. Swords has been up there in, in top fives. It's been all about track house racing the last few weeks. 
Yeah, Don, you're exactly right. In six races, uh, Ross Chastain, he's got the one win now, but he's had four top five finishes and four top ten, been in the top ten four times, and then he only had one DNF, and he's now uh, fifth in the point standing. So uh, uh, they're, the, they're the real deal this year. These guys are serious. They're they're This is a big morale booster for them. Um, you mentioned that, you know, Suarez um, – or a little bit earlier, you know, he had the car to beat, and uh, I, um, uh, I think if uh, had he not had the some of the issues that he had, I think um, he he might have been in victory lane. But I tell you one thing, I'm real real pleased with the way the the finish turned out with Ross, and and um, they they had a, a really good post race pre- press conference, and a lot of neat stuff which we're going to talk about that came out of that uh, that I didn't know about Ross, and a lot of we all learned about him on Sunday. I know. Speaking of post-race, you've got some post-race audio there of Ross Chastain and Justin Marks there in uh, the media center after the race. Uh, let's yeah. hear a little bit of that. Okay, this is uh, Bob Pockers from, from uh, Fox uh, Sports uh, asking the, the question here, and, and it has to do with what happened on the last lap, and then you'll hear uh, Justin give his uh, views and opinions, and then Ross chimes in at the very end. And this is uh, from the post-race press conference in the media center. Bob Pockers, Fox Sports. Um, I wouldn't mind if both Justin and Ross answer this, but as for Justin, uh, there's going to be a lot talked about. You know, was the move kosher? Was it? You know, was it fair? Was it yeah. uh, over the line? Is there anything that really is over the line when with this playoff system? I, I mean, I, I don't. I struggle to. F- Fine. What's what's too much? I mean, we, we uh, today was not different than how you see so many of these races end. They're so hard to win, and it's just sort of like the the, the way people the way people think about it, uh, racing each other and attacking the racetrack. It just it changes throughout the race, and you, it, these races almost always have late race restarts, and there's so much on the line that you just get to a point where it's like, all right, who's, who's just wants it the most? And NASCAR's, you know, proven over the last four decades that they just, they're going to let these races play out like they may, and they're going to let it self-police. And these guys all wanted it. There's always contact at the end of these races. I, I honestly am saying, I mean, today is just not that much different than what you see a lot of times on green-white checkers at these, at these, at these racetracks. I mean, you take that white flag and it's like, who wants it the most? Who wants it the most? And, um, you know, Ross got beat up a little bit today too. I, I want to make sure people remember. I mean, Ross got used up a little bit today a couple of times. And when it comes, you know, when the money's on the line and the playoff spot's on the table, you do what you got to do. I mean, that's my, that's my opinion. Ross, your take? I mean, I, I didn't draw it up that way in my head, but, yeah, I, I did what I did. I stand by it. Yeah, and he did stand by it, and he owned it, and he did it. And it was successful, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, to me, and I don't understand, Mike. I mean, I don't, I don't understand what was the issue. I don't even know why it's even being talked about. Um, why people were reacting the way that they were, other than being butt hurt that they didn't win. Um, well, yeah, their 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 guy didn't win, and that's what it came down to. And it, you got the keyboard warriors that are going to bitch about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this all the time. Um, I get so tired of it, Don. You know, these people that will take any little thing and pick at it and make it a big deal out of it. And and uh, uh, but you're right. It it it's I don't know. 
I'm going to shut up. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Mike, because, I mean, it, it's not like it's just something that's started recently. I mean, let's face it. One of the main things that we, and, and I know sometimes people hate bringing this up, but when you think Dale Earnhardt Sr., you think a guy that would put a bumper to you and it was a bump and run. I mean, that that was his move. It was, you know, you either block him or get, get out of his way, but he was going to come through you if he needed to for a win. And, and, and not just him, but to me, that was the way that the old school racers raced. I mean, you, you know, I mean, that's where the saying checkers or wreckers came from. (laughs) How many times look at the battles between Dale and Rusty Wallace and, and, you know, Jeff Bodine. And I mean, we can go through the list back then, Harry Gant, all these guys back in the day, when they call it back in the day, that's what they would do. You know, how many times senior spun Terry Labonte, remember? I mean, you know, just... It, it was get out of the way. And then, you know, and we, we expect that on a short track too. I mean, that's the big thing is, you know, you expect that on a short track. I don't understand why people don't expect it on a road course when, I mean, to me, that's where you really should expect it because you're so limited on passing zones and braking zones and stuff and where you can make a move. And almost every time that you do make a move, you're, there's going to be some sort of contact there because everyone is so yeah. close yeah. to each other. We I see guess, it in, we, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just, I mean, I was just going to wrap up by saying, I, I don't understand it, but I really didn't understand it in this situation because to be honest, I mean, Ross got bumped first. He got knocked out yeah. of the way first. And to me, all he was doing was racing back for his position. And, you know, how about Alex Bowman? I mean, he's right there at the right time, and he, you know, gets to the lead, and then all of a sudden he's getting passed by, you know, Ross. And, and But, you know, we, we see this kind of racing in F1, IndyCar on the road courses, where there's tight these tight turns and this passing. I mean, this is this is racing, and that's what it's all about. And, and I, I love it. I think it's great. I think we're going to see more. Wait till we go to Sonoma. Wait till we go to Watkins Glen. We're going to have some good, you know, um, road races this year with this new car. I, I think, I think what you saw this past Sunday, it's just the start of it. Well, I'm excited for it. I am totally there for it. And, and again, not to take anything away from AJ Allmendinger or anything mm-hmm. else. I mean, what I loved is to me, the hero in all of this was the car. I mean, yeah. that, th- those guys were banging. There was no tires going down, you know, I mean, you didn't get, uh, a tire being cut down from it. These cars are taking a beating and I'm, I am here for it. I am absolutely loving the product that we are seeing on the track. Yeah. And again, when you have 32 of the 39 cars finishing on the lead lap at the finish all in one piece, that says something about this car. Yeah, for sure. I will say, um, and I, and I, I read some comments and stuff and I kind of agree the race started off a little slow. You know, but mm-hmm. I think that was just everybody kind of getting their groove and, and trying to figure out how this car. I, I think this this car maneuvered a lot better than what people were expecting it to. And I also heard, um, I want to say it was Ryan Blaney this week was talking about. And Mikey, you can tell me more about this because you're used to Coda. You you were there last year and this year, but there was spots where he was saying that there was curbing last year. Um, and, and so you kind it kind of self-policed you as far as how, how far out you could go, because yeah. if not, you were going to hit the curb and tear up your car. Whereas, and the curbing was gone this year. Yeah, so they, they were they able the uh, turtles, I think is what okay. they call it. So they were able to be, you know, to, to kind of go wider out. Uh, I mean, 
basically using up every little last bit of asphalt that was out there uh, to to try and and and, and yeah. you know gain a little bit more momentum coming into turns and stuff. And and you know the track the first year that the track opened was November twelve uh, November of two thousand twelve for the Formula One race. So you're you're looking at ten years that the track has been there now. Ten years of payment. Ten years in the hot Texas sun. The track was very bumpy last year, and and over the off season back in January this past January they actually paved a significant portion of that track. Um, and so they smoothed out some of the bumps. They. Uh, which created for all all of this basically what I'm trying to say is it created for a, a better race, a different feel for the for the guys. They had to learn this and they only had like thirty minutes of practice. And then they had qualifying. So it's not like they got a lot of time to figure this this car out when they got there this past weekend. So it really um that was a big factor as well. But I, I tell you what, it, it Again, I think this car uh, is going to be great for road racing. Road racing, and I think we just saw the start of something really, really good for the future here going forward. Now, I agree. Uh, going back to AJ Allmendinger, his his reaction uh, was was kind of priceless, and so now I have a a what I would like to call my Dinger com- compilation. Um, so I've got AJ there post race. Uh, that you saw on NBC where he's he's talking. Then I believe, let's see, um, oh he's he's with Jamie Little first. Then I've got a little bit of audio of him talking with Bob Pockris. Very similar. These two interviews very similar. Post right right after the race happens, post race walking in the garage area, and then a little bit to to wrap it up. A little dinger on with Dave Moody singing a completely different tune than what he was singing uh, just 24 hours beforehand. So I found this quite interesting, Mike. Uh, Let's see what you have to think after we hear from AJ. Your day ended in the care center. What is your take on what happened between you and Ross Chastain there at the end? I mean, at the end of the day, we we all got to look at ourselves in the mirror. And if you're okay with it, you're okay with it. Each person's different. So uh, more than anything, proud of uh, Collard Racing. The action industry Chevy was so fast. I think if we could have had just a long run, nobody was going to touch us. Um, so pit stops are great. Uh, everybody at, at College Racing, all the men and women, you know, it's just uh, a lot of sleepless nights for them right now trying to just get these cars to the next race. Uh, so I was doing everything I could to, uh, to try to sweep the weekend for them. Uh, we were that close. So, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, each person's got to make the move that they're comfortable with. And uh, that's fine. So we'll, uh, at the end of the day, it's a, we know we had a shot to win the race. It's tough to win a cup race. So when you put yourself in a position to legitimately run, run up front all day and have a shot to win it, um, it's a pretty great day. Unfortunately, just, uh, we needed about two more corners. AJ you know Ross as well. You raced with him. Did, did you expect anything different there? Nope. No, I didn't, Bob. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's going to be aggressive and going for his first win, so, I mean, Hey, at the end of the day, like I said, you, uh, you got to look at yourself in the mirror, and if you're okay with it, you're okay with it. Every person's different. I, it, so it doesn't matter what I think. It's, uh, we had a shot to win a cup race. It's pretty special. Fair to say you wouldn't have made that move? Doesn't matter. On up here, man, it's like, we're, we're going for the win, right? Like, it, it's. Ross is going first cup, first cup win, like in. Quite honestly, I don't hold anything against him for that. 
you know, we we all play it back in our mind of, you know, would you do it that way or, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Uh, so I, I look at it as, you know, that 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 happens. It's racing. You know, if the, the shoe is on the other foot the next time and, and, you know, I move him the same way, then there's no room to talk, right? Like it's fair. Fair is fair. So – but I'm okay with it, right? It's it's racing. That's what it's all about. So I think it's just an understanding of, okay, if you expect it to happen in return, and if it does, then you are you have the same reaction of, okay, like, yeah, that's that's how it happens, then, then we're fine. Well, there you go, Mike. So is it just me? Was I hearing the same A.J. Allmendinger um, in, in all three interviews, or did, did, it, did it seem like maybe A.J. – went back and saw the replay <laughs> of how things went down and, and had a little bit of a different take after yeah. a little bit of a, a break from the situation. Exactly. And you know, he won the uh, Xfinity race on Saturday, led 27 laps, had a great, you know, run in the, in the Xfinity car. I think that helped him on the race on Sunday, you know, it carried over, but you know, one of the things I want to point out a lot of people don't realize is that he was running what second when all this went, went down, mm-hmm. he ended up finishing in 33rd position <laughs> one, one lap down because they, he didn't come didn't complete that lap. So it goes back to the previous lap. So, I mean, you go from second to 33rd, uh, that hurts and that stings as well. So I, I, I understand a little bit where he was coming from, but I mean, it, it is racing. It and is. he would have probably done the same thing if roles were, were reversed there, you know. Well, and, and here's the thing is my understanding is, you know, that's Kaylee Racing and, you know, very similar situation. They work very closely with uh, track house racing. So they they need a win as well. And, and AJ put them in a position to where, I mean, that could have done huge things for that team and, and for that organization. And I don't want to take anything away from AJ. He had a spectacular weekend. Uh, but again, when you go back and look, you know, in hindsight and you watch the replay and stuff, everything that AJ said in that last interview with Dave Moody, where it was like, you know, look, I mean, if you expect, you know, if you race somebody this way and you move them out of the way, you then don't be surprised or act shocked or, or be outraged or whatever, if it happens to you and stuff. And, I think it's kind of funny because when you go back and look, AJ got exactly what AJ gave to Ross, you know, mm-hmm. which allowed for Alex Bowman to become a player in this situation. He was going to try and dump him is exactly what he was trying to do. The The problem is, it, and it had nothing to do with everything AJ did was, was perfect. It's the mm-hmm. fact that this car can take, can take a beating. It isn't just going to get dumped right away. And, and, you know, right. and, and it was great. And Ross is a wheel man. I mean, he is a wheel man. Yes, he is. Outside of AJ and and Ross, uh, Alex Bowman, like we said, Alex, you know, ended up there uh, a part of it, and and Alex kind of had a little bit of advice uh, for for AJ and for Ross, uh, you know, which I I found interesting. So there were several drivers that they were, you know, they asked later on uh, throughout the week and stuff, you know, if they had an issue with that kind of racing or those kind of finishes and stuff. And so here's what Alex Bowman had to say. I've been on the other side of it, so I have to live with it, right? Like I talk about Martinsville, like I had to live with that. Um, Best advice I have for Ross on that is put it on a T-shirt and sell the hell out of it. (laughs) 
So that was Alex Bowman on Race Hub uh, later on this week. So uh, his advice, put it on a T-shirt and sell the hell out of it. So it's, great. it's worked for him. So there you yes, go. It, yes, it has. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the other guys I know that we heard from this week as well, um, and I invite you guys to listen if you have the SiriusXM NASCAR radio in your car or um, on your device or on, on an app. Uh, every Tuesday, I think on one of our other podcasts I said Monday, but it's Tuesday mornings, um, I, I want to say 9 a.m., uh, central time, I believe. Yeah, I think but, so. Um, it's uh, Joey Logano. It's behind the wheel, and he he takes an hour and visits, and you know takes phone calls and stuff, and talks. Uh, but it's a great little segment or series that they do now. And uh, he had some takes on it, which I thought it was great to hear from Joey because I mean Joey is an aggressive driver. Uh, yeah. So he gave his opinion on it, correct? He sure did, Don. And you know he he's been involved in some skirmishes over the years. He finished 31st in the race and uh, didn't have the run that he wanted. But here's what he had to say on the show uh, the other day. Here we go. You're racing for your first win. I get that. Um, he he did just get punted the corner before. So I see. So I, I'd be angry. Someone just punted me. I'm, I'm coming right back at you. If I'm still running, I'm coming back at you immediately. I'd, I, why wouldn't you? Um, I don't think what Ross did was meant to wreck AJ. And he hit him from behind, squared up from behind. He didn't left rear him into the corner. Now it kind of chased him up and they you know bounced doors at the forty eight and all that those type of things. Which I don't think that was part of Ross's plan to do it that way. Right? Like I think that just like it got AJ all crossed up and it sent AJ to the right, which doinks off the forty eight and now you're you got a wreck going, so I mean, I think his thought was just to do the same thing. It just happened to him. Drive right in the back of him, move him up out of the way, and go to turn 20 and win the race. I, I uh, That's what I think was about to happen. I think the 48 complicated that. If the 48 wasn't there, we got a totally different dynamic. Because if that's the case, if, if, if the 48 was not there. See, the You're 16 right. just shoved, one, shoved him off. Well, he regrouped himself. And, and, and when he regrouped himself and he started to angle up, I'm like, oh, here we go. And he basically returned the favorite and just shoved the 16 into 19. But the problem is the 48 was on the outside. Driver's right. Right. Bouncing and you're doing all this. And then that's what that's made it, in my opinion, look worse than what it actually was. Is that fair? I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I, I don't think Ross went in there saying, I'm going to take him out. I think he went in there saying, I'm going to move him just like I got moved. And unfortunately, the 48 was there. And, and that's what caused the spin. It it's not Bowman's fault. Don't get me wrong. Any of that. Bowman was just an innocent bystander throughout this whole thing and almost won it because of it. But uh, that's that's racing, man. That's racing for the win at the end of the race. I, I I'm uh, shoot. Especially if I just got punted out of the way, it's game on. And there you go, Don. And it is game on. And I tell you what, you know, um, how about uh, Bowman? What if he would have won that race? We would have a whole different storyline here. We, that we'd be talking about, you we know, and hear how he backed into another win or he's a yeah. hack and whatever. Anyway, I, I, I just, uh, I'm still amazed at how it all worked out and how it all finished. And, uh, man, it is really super cool that he it, got that win. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, you, you talked a little bit about the, the storyline, um, uh, which we love. I mean, I love a good storyline behind drivers and how they get up there and stuff. And, um, we're going to get into a little bit of, of, of Ross Chastain and, 
and you know what he's been going through over the last few years to kind of feel his way into where he is um I know we have audio from Justin Marks when he's talking. He was on with Dave Moody this week, and I heard the interview, and, and I told you, I said, we got to get this, some of this audio because it was an amazing interview. He, he's Justin was talking about both of his drivers. First of all, he was talking about how hard it is as an owner to console. You know, you've got a guy that really and truly had the best car of the weekend, dealt with all sorts of adversity, uh, ended up the last 20 laps or so of the race driving without power steering at all in his car, uh, finished the race. I mean, he could have parked it yeah. at that point. He he finished the race, and actually what he did then is he immediately went and uh, was up in his car up there next to, to Chastain and congratulating him. Then once he got out of the car, Daniel Suarez was in victory lane, giving hugging Chastain and high-fiving them. You know, it just speaks volumes to the the organization in general, but to Daniel Suarez. Um, and, and Justin was talking about having to balance, you know, he feels both of these guys. It, it, you know, it, it could be either one of them on any given weekend, but he's, he's really had to kind of um, be a counselor almost with Ross because Ross has come into this organization, um, a guy that was – kind of living desperately, so to speak. Uh, I mean, major, yeah. major underdog, you know. So uh, I know we've got some audio about this. And, and then um, once we hear from Justin, we'll talk a little bit more about Ross himself. Okay, so here's uh, Dave Moody and uh, Justin Marks. There's always belief, but, but I think doubt creeps in until you've just proven you've proven to yourself in the world that, that you can do it. And, and you know, Ross, and I've said this a number of times, I mean, you know, Ross has, has spent a large portion of his career either driving, driving equipment that wasn't really up to, you know, winning, winning level um, or, you know, racing for his job kind of like week to week and never seeing what the future holds. And when you do that, you know, you, you, start, you start creating this mindset of I have to get it now because tomorrow's not guaranteed professionally. And, uh, and it's the reason why I signed him to a multi-year contract and, and the reason why I sat him down and told him, this is your team. This is your team. This is your ride. You, you know, if, if you, you can take a deep breath and realize that, that you've got time to figure this out. And I, I did all that because I've watched Ross race for 10 years and raced against him. And, and I mean, I see a, I see a NASCAR cup series championship caliber driving in that young man, driver in that young man. And um, I know it's in there and I just, I'm trying to do my best to find out exactly what he needs physically and psychologically to be, to, to truly be his best. And, and, you know, I think that he's a guy that, that always questioned, am I, do I belong? Am I somebody that's really actually good enough to be here? And I think if he gets there and I think yesterday went a long way to getting him there, but when he gets to that point where he truly has conviction and believe, believes that, I mean, I think look out. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I think this guy, this guy could write history in the next 10 years in this sport. If he gets to that, that, that point of confidence. And like I said, I think, you know, I hope he does it all in our, in our stuff at track house. And, and I think yesterday went a long way to, to getting him there, but man, you get a little bit of swagger, a little bit of confidence in that guy. I think he can start ripping some wins off. I, I truly believe that's why I hired him. And Don, I think he hit it right on the nail, right on the head there. You know, that get the confidence going, get it, get his, you know, morale up and everything. Well, this could be the start of something really good for this young man and this team. So look out for Ross Chastain because I think this is the start of something really good for him. I mean, I remember a certain driver of the number 18 car when he first, uh, you know, 
came into the series, into the Cup series and stuff. And uh, a lot of folks, you know, were saying the same thing about him, that uh, not that he lacked confidence. In fact, just the opposite, that he was so confident that, you know, he was going to start just, you know, wins were just started rolling in and stuff. And I see a lot of the same traits in Ross Chastain. He's he's an aggressive driver. I mean, he is up on the wheel. He is a wheel man. And he's not going to let you push him around. A lot of people don't like him. They don't like his aggressive style and stuff. Those are the same people that probably didn't like Dale Earnhardt Sr. and, and, and guys like that. But, you know, does he get a little too aggressive sometimes? Who doesn't? I mean, you know, but to me, I'm not going to fault the guy. I'd rather have a guy that's aggressive and hungry and, and is going to do everything that he can to get that win, whether it's, you know, put it in the wall, you know, if he has to, you know, I mean, he's going to do it. I'd rather have that than a driver that's just happy to just ride around, you know, and, 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 oh, I'm just going to be consistent and get, you know, my top 10 finish or top 11 or whatever and just try to be consistent. No, it's it's go for the win, dude. I mean, it's all or nothing. Yeah, you're right. And I kind of, you know, r- relate this to like March Madness when the Cinderella team coming up through the NCAA men's tournament or the women's tournament. You know, you have a team that that, you know, gets into the to the tournament and works your way up to the Elite Eight or even the Final Four. I mean, that that's what this team is. It's, it was kind of like a Cinderella team and, and, and they're, they're there and they get the win. And, 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 and so it's just, uh, it's really, really great, Don. And, and, you know, he, he, Ross's story, and I didn't know all this until the the press conference, you know, they, they call him the watermelon man. Mm-hmm. And I knew about busting the, dropping the watermelon and busting it all over the track was he celebrated. We saw him do this with the trucks and Xfinity before in previous years and stuff but uh his uh his family actually uh, they're in the business of growing watermelons and this story came out i mean it really came out in the press conference because some of the questions they asked and everything but he really has a kind of a from rags the richest kind of you know story in in the sense that you know he he came from really not much at all Mm -hmm. and now he's you know on on the on the golden stage here on nascar competing in the top series and um he's in the and he gets a win and you know it's just it's 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 a it's a great story and his his backstory is really really impressive as well so we 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 have some audio here we're going to play here in a minute and but i i i think um you know this is um really incredible his his backstory and kind of like where he where he came from yeah, you know, he's a, there, his family was watermelon farmers there in Florida. Uh, he's 29 years old. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he, he's a young guy. I know his mom was there in Victory Lane. Uh, he, you know, ran up and gave her a big hug and stuff. And, you know, this is that, that youth that we were talking about, you know, that it, it, it makes me feel good because there for a while we were kind of worried about, you know, what where is NASCAR going to be heading because we weren't just seeing we weren't seeing charisma and and talent and and all of the things you know combined you would see okay here's talent here but the guy you know is um you know has the personality of a wet sponge and um you know i mean it it was like you'd get hit or miss here and there and we were really kind of concerned there mike of like where's the future of racing going and I I look now and it's like no I I feel good about what I'm seeing with guys like Ross Chastain and uh, Bubba Wallace and yeah, and, and other you know, dinosaurs you know yeah good old down the earth guys you know we've talked about the cookie cutter tracks well there was cookie cutter drivers that kept coming out. 
for a the while. And we, were, we were getting robots and we getting tired. But, you know, his mother, before I play the audio here, I want to point out two things. His mother, I found out, is a traveling nurse. Oh. And she's been going around the country working in these hospitals in these hotspot areas with COVID. She's a co- been a COVID nurse in the ICUs and stuff. Wow. And um, so um, she's, you know, he looks he he looks up to her as as a hero and stuff. She and, is uh, definitely thank her for that. Yeah, and um, the other thing I saw that I haven't really seen in a long time after the press conference was all said and done, I don't know how many people from the national media went up there and hugged him and congratulated him, and you know. As a reporter, you're supposed to stay, you know, neutral. And but there was a this sense of compassion toward him, like you know, man, you finally did it. You know, and and some of these writers, I don't want to mention any names who did it or anything, but I was impressed who went and shook his hand and congratulated him, pat him on the back, hugged him, and everything. Um, I was impressed with what I saw with the, with the with the media doing that after it was all said and done. And that was pretty impressive. But um, one of the uh, writers, uh, Jerry Jordan from kickingthetires.net, uh, he asked Ross, and this is the what you're going to hear is the, uh, the response. The question was, how does a watermelon farmer process, how are you processing your first NASCAR Cup victory? And so this is what um, Ross had to say. I mean, I don't know how to process it yet. I, I sit here and I look at this and I, I think back to the, the stories of our family and they were in South Georgia for a long time, not living a good life. My great granddad moved the family south to Florida. My granddad, two years in to living in Punta Gorda, Florida, enlisted in the service, him and his brother, because it was going to be a better life. And you think about that and that's unfathomable for me. And they came back, built the farm up, my dad and uncle became old enough to farm on their own. They've grown the farm to an incredible spot. And when you just think about agriculture right now, it's scary. We don't have crop insurance. It's just in our area, it's just not a thing. And it's, I think it's coming down the pipe, but it, it really keeps the number of watermelon farmers to a very small group of us, probably five or six. Uh, there's probably 10. Um, and we've just honed in on watermelons as the family business. It started eight generations ago. And really before that, 12 generations ago, they were farming, but back then everybody farmed and we're, for better or worse, stuck with it. And every generation has stayed with it. So when I look at that and I think about what my great grandfather and farther back, and then my granddad, what he's lived through, it's incredible that we've been able to get into this sport. My dad liked it, did some hobby racing, got me into it. Mark Martin, which was here today, came by my car, like Mark Martin, the NASCAR driver came by my car before the race and gave me a fist bump and said, you're awesome with some other words and I love what you're doing keep being bad at the bone he said other words I was like wow like his son Matt was the reason I wanted to race they raced at 417 in my local track in the fast kids series Bobby Deal ran it and we got we ran the next race it was Matt's last race and to think back to the farming and then tie that into the racing like how my careers went it's just like there was never like I wanted to race and that's all I wanted to do. So all this extra stuff now and, and to get to talk about watermelons on a national level, get to talk about agriculture in a positive light. It's a scary world and, and a small minority of people are very vocal and they think that farmers are trying to kill them and hurt them. And it's just not the case. We're trying to feed the world. It's a very small number of people in this world that grow the, the crops that feed this world and feed this population worldwide. So it's, um, 
it's a, it's a thankless job for the farmers, the real farmers. I'm just the one that gets to talk about it now. Um, but I, I think for like farmers and, and small racers everywhere, this is a, this is a big win. Obviously I think so. And Don, what an incredible backstory, you know, that, that came out of that. I mean, I can relate to what he's saying because, you know, I live in Floresville, Texas, which is 30 miles South of San Antonio, uh, we call this the peanut capital of the world because most of the farmers around in this area at one time grew peanuts as uh, times changed and everything like that. There's less and less peanuts being grown. You see a lot of watermelons being grown now in, 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 in the sand and stuff in, in the sand hills and everything. And some of the farms around here. So I could relate to where, what he was talking about, you know, with crop insurance, you never know with the weather and droughts and, Everything it's such a tough business, and 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 um, you know we're losing more and more farms as cities grow and farms are sold and subdivisions are built and stuff like that. You know it 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 it's, it has a huge impact. But just this story, and you can hear the you know his emotion coming out on this. It, it, to me, that was really incredible. Uh, just him telling this this story, it, you know, is really 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 neat. Well, he has a platform now, you know, too. Yeah. I mean, he's brought a lot of attention. You know, it was kind of funny at first and stuff. You know, I don't like you said, if people didn't know the backstory, they're like, you know, why is this guy up there? You know, he's a watermelon man. What's up with that? Is it because he smashes a watermelon? No. I mean, you know, again, um, and, and it goes back to I want to say like the truck race. I think it was when he won his first truck race. They brought an actual watermelon from the farm. I mean, it was one <laughs> yeah. from their farm um, there. I and I could be wrong, but I want to say I think it was like in Daytona or something when it happened. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where it took off. Mike, I no. was gonna I was gonna react to to what you said about some of the media members and stuff, and and it goes back to the fact that they talk about Ross. You know, he's been racing for ten years. Uh, he's raced, you know, his way through the truck series. Mm -hmm. He's come up the way you're supposed to come up through yeah. the series. And, you know, he's had success in, in, in the truck series and in the Xfinity series. And, you know, now him being there in the cup series, it's, it's expected of him to, to win. I mean, he is a winner. And I think these media members, you know, again, like you and I have, have learned through the years, these guys are very vulnerable. They're more vulnerable as they're coming up through the series. So when you start talking to guys when they're young and they're truck series drivers, they're very open and they're very willing to talk and, and give you their stories and, and get to know you and stuff. And then it's not till they become these big time cup drivers that they act like they don't know who the hell you are or could care less what you're asking them. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, Ross has built that relationship with especially the full-time media members that travel to every race. Um, they have seen him, you know, since the cup series or I'm sorry, since the truck series mm -hmm. and gotten to know him and know his story and know his struggles and, and know the kind of racer that he is. So it's kind of like everybody that's, that's been a part of this in, in a small way and watched this growth got to celebrate this victory mm -hmm. with him because you knew it was coming. You could see it coming. Yeah. You're definitely right there. Uh, one thing I want to point out that they talked about that we don't have the audio for. And we, uh, I mean, we could put it in if we want, but uh, they they carry a, a watermelon with them to every race. Uh -huh. Now they started the season that they had some watermelons from the from the farm, but for this race they had to go to the store and to Whole Foods or somewhere there in Austin and buy a watermelon. So they um, 
the one that they've been carrying around, they had to finally throw out because it was getting getting kind of rotten and everything. So they, yeah. <laughs> the last couple of races, they've actually been buying them at the store, and then they said they'll have some more this summer. When that's really when they pretty much you know come out. They're real, you know. You see all the watermelons in the store in the summertime. That's kind of the, the season, you might say. But um, but but you're right. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, Don, you know, you're talking about coming up to the series. This just shows you and I and and, and the fans that you know here's here's a a guy who I would say definitely blue collar you know a blue collar guy coming up hard working gets a chance and a break and is successful and it just goes to show you that the average joe can do it in this sport mm-hmm. and i think with the new car and the, and the, and the rules and everything it it's leveled the playing field and how great is that that, that a guy like ross can you know do this well and get the victory for for the team and everything like that. It just goes to show you that there's a lot of hope for these other guys, and I think that's what you know we're going to see a lot. Some of these other guys that normally don't win races, I think that we're going to see them possibly getting some victories this year. Well, I love backstories. I, I really do. I mean, everybody has a story. Everybody has yeah. you know something that they've. Um, hard times that they've gone through or, you know, just struggles. We, everyone has it. Everyone's got skeletons in their closet. It's, you know, I mean, that's just, but it's nice to see the human side uh, of things. And it's good to see good people who have worked hard um, get to, you know, enjoy a taste of the success. And that's what I like about this particular race, this particular finish, this particular story is that we don't always get to hear these kind of stories come out in racing. You know, Kyle Busch wins and, you know, Kyle Larson wins his fifth race in a row or whatever, you know. But here, this this is a chance to, to, that a backstory was able to be told. There's one other thing I want to play, the audio that we have. Um, it was, I think, Daniel McFadden, uh, who travels around a lot of the races, he asked the question about, um, well, he asked about the watermelon. Uh, he was the one that asked about did they bring the watermelon that they've been carrying around. But uh, but then he followed it up with, um, your mom was there. Your dad wasn't able to make it. How did they take the race? How did they? How did you react with them getting the win? And so here's what uh, Ross had to say. He's very emotional about this as well. So here we go. I I don't. I don't know how to put into words because obviously they were the first two, right? And yeah, I wish my dad was here, but um, so with our farm, him and my brother, Chad, uh, my dad, Ralph, my brother, Chad, they, they farm, they, they, they run JDI farms and there's five full-time people. And then we bring in a, a crew to plant, take, you know, to water the plants, to plant the plants, harvest the plants. And if Chad comes to the race and my dad stays back and if my dad comes to the race, Chad stays back and Chad spots, um, Chad's the one that he raced at Watkins Glen last year for Nice Motorsports. And, um, you know, it's, uh, so my dad stayed back to keep the farm going. Like it's just no different than any other business. If the boss is away, the mice will play, right? Like you gotta, you gotta stay on everybody. And it's a plants from the ground. We'll start harvesting in a few weeks where, where this is our, our go time to, to grow the watermelon. So, um, yeah, I wish he was here, but my mom's here and she's just supported me a lot, the whole way. Um, it's, it's, that was the closest I came to crying after the race. And just now, um, just thinking about, she doesn't get to come to as many as she wants to. She's a traveling nurse. So she's, um, she's working an assignment now in North Georgia, um, doing what she wants to do, right? She likes to take care of people and she wants to save lives. And she's, you know, she's 
worked through COVID and never backed down and, and has, um, has actually saved lives. So to her, for her to take time, you know, out of her schedule to come and to work her, her work schedule around and to be here, it's, um, it's not lost on me. And, um, you know, we, Chad comes in spots and hopefully gets to race a little more and we're just racers. So, um, yeah, I wish dad was here, but, um, wish a lot of people were here, but that's not how the world works. And again, what a great story, you know, yeah, no, part of that story and, and really, really cool. Well, and it also goes to show that, I mean, let, let's face it. Here's a guy that is in the cup series. You know, you think, okay, cup series drivers, you know, millionaires or this and that. No, I mean, here's a guy who, you know, his, he, he, he can't even afford to, he doesn't make enough money to make things easy on his family's farm. So his dad can come hang out at the race or so his mom doesn't have to go and work COVID shifts or whatever, you know, I mean, this is your true American family, you know, hardworking farm family. And I mean, he, this is kind of his extracurricular, (laughs) I I guess, deal, you know, it has been his entire life, but uh, it makes me like him even more. It really does. It really does. And this is, um, a type of story that I would love that it got told. And that's why I wanted to help. You know, we wanted, you and I both wanted to help tell this story to our listeners because, uh, not all the, not, not all the media outlets were told this part of the story, you know? So, so we're, we were able to, and I think it's, uh, again, a really, really cool thing that, that happened at Coda this week. And I'm, I was glad to be there and be part of it. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm, I'm, uh, sad that I wasn't able to, but actually I'm, I'm not sad because I got to see it on TV and it was amazing, uh, as well on TV and, you know, telling people stories, it's, it's part of what we like to do. It's why we like to have uh different guy. I mean, you know, I love to have drivers on for sure. And I like to, to dig and, and get into personal things, you know, what they're doing in their lives outside of the racetrack. It gives us a, a chance to get to know drivers and stuff, but one of the things that for 18 years, Mike, we have kind of prided ourselves on is bringing on the behind-the-scenes guys, you know, and, and women, engineers, pit crew members, team owners, team captains, uh, you know, just you name it, we bring them on. Or, you know, I mean, it's same thing on, on track track owners, track facility people, other media folks. Everyone, Like I said, everyone has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And and I that's what I enjoy is through the years is getting to know folks. One of the guys that we have gotten to know through the years actually comes from where we come from. He's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a hometown boy for us, a uh, product of the 210 there in San Antonio. Uh, Matthew Kemp, he is a crew member. He's been a crew member on different teams in the past but now he is uh working for elevated performance racing they are a pit crew company team they they have pit crew guys on on different teams throughout the series and and matthew is actually pitting uh trucks cup and xfinity series he's all three um we're gonna bring matt on right now and and pick his brain on some topics that i know you know you and i have been been wanting to talk about especially with guys behind the wall so uh let, let's if if you're ready let's, let's i'm ready on. let's All do right. it joining us now here on track smack radio our good friend from originally from san antonio we'll just stay you're you're from san antonio i don't, I don't care matt how long you live in north carolina if it's the rest of your damn life you're still you're san antonio born and bred so you're considered a san antonian is that good? Hey, so I die, right? Yeah, there you go. Texan, exactly. Screw this North Carolina crap. 
<laughs> Matthew Kemp, of course, from uh, our good friend who's joined us over the last few seasons. Um, I would say what car, Matt, but I know like it changes all the time. And then you do truck series, you do Xfinity series. So kind of give us the rundown of uh, what you're doing so far this season. So I am now with a company, Elevated Performance. Uh, it's an amazing company. It's a pit crew company. Um, so with that, I am the a fuel man on the 42, the truck, 92 Xfinity, and 27 Cup car. Tell me about coming back home last week, coming to Coda. Uh, I know for most of the teams, because of, of the rain and everything that happened last season, it was almost like coming there again for the first time because no one really kind of knew what to expect with this new car. Plus, you really didn't learn anything last year because it rained so daggone much. It was really just kind of trying to stay alive and stay out of wrecks last year um, at Coda. So how was it coming back home and uh, uh, what did you think of the track and how the car responded on the track? So, I mean, first off, coming home, right, you get to have some good food, barbecue, <laughs> Whataburger, Mexican food, all the good stuff. Uh, coming back home, though, I mean, it was great. It was nice to be in warm weather. Uh, when we had left, it was, I don't know, 30-something degrees in Charlotte, around that area. And uh, coming back to the warm, it was really nice. Uh, just great to be back in Texas. Um, didn't like the pollen too much. So I started sneezing like crazy. Uh, but that's to be expected, right? Uh, but overall, uh, I think that the racing itself at Coda has produced a whole different level of of excitement for the sport. Um, all three series had amazing finishes, good racing battles throughout. Um, and like you said, going from rain last year where nobody knew what to expect, and then a whole new cup car and everything else, there was a lot to be learned. Um, I think that one thing that is exciting is that NASCAR has done this 30-minute practice session straight into qualifying. I think that's produced a lot. People have some time to adjust some things. And we saw it through COVID. Um, run what you brung, right? That was a lot of fun. Uh, but this this time where now we can make some small adjustments, do what we can, it's created a whole different racing. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. You started out, of course, here, like a, a lot of guys and, and gals on pit road, but you started out growing up as a driver. So you know the driving side of things. I mean, while you haven't driven these series, you grew up racing. So for you, I, I know you listen a lot to what your driver, of course, is saying and all while you're pitting, but it's familiar talk and stuff. You understand a lot of what they're saying because you've, you've been on that side of the wheel before you, uh, we just logged on with you and you were you just finished i racing so you're still you know racing the you can't take the racer out of you basically is what i'm trying to say i want folks to understand that when we talk about things you know with you it's like one thing you know is yeah we'll be technical we'll talk about you know the pit road and stuff but you do understand a lot of of what drivers and stuff are going through and we really kind of want to get your feedback especially when it comes to this car i think it's a little shocking matt because when we talked to you or when i've talked to you last season and then kind of in the off season um and not just you a lot of pit crew members we kind of thought that this car might be for lack of a better words, <laughs> the depth of the sport, possibly. I mean, you know, we were really afraid guys were going to be losing their jobs. You know, I mean, it was we didn't know what to expect. And I have to say, I, I, I would think you'd agree, but I'm very pleasantly surprised. I think we've seen some of the best racing we've seen in, in 20 years um, out of this car. What it, what about for you guys, you know, being there on the wall, being there behind the scenes, you you know, you in the shop as well. Uh, how are you feeling about this car and how what you've seen on the track so far? Yeah, I mean, it's created a whole a whole new 
aspect of this sport, right? Someplace that we've never been. Um, you're looking at what's going to be here. Um, the independent suspension, the way the car drives, the way it handles, I, and, and, you know, being a skeptic at first, you know, to now, night and day. Um, they're fun to watch. They have created different racing. You're seeing a lot of younger guys, people that you don't really get to hear a whole lot of come up front. I mean, look how many winners we've had now since we've started. A new winner each time. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the veterans falling back. I think a lot of that has to do with how long they've been in the sport, the way that they've, they've known how to drive. Now they're having to relearn, right? You get a younger guy that just soaks up everything quicker, and, and that's just science. That's just the way the human body is. The younger you are, the, the better you can adapt. Yeah. Uh, and I think, honestly, it's created a whole – different aspect and it's been exciting um as far as pit road you know there's some things that made it interesting but it's still fun i mean we we've gone from you know the fastest times of 11 12 seconds last year down to nine and and everybody's having to step up their game um i mean for me myself as a fueler you know you had time now it's all about you got to get to the car fast you got to be accurate you got to be pumping in fuel as fast as you can get the second can from the wall, back to the car, while doing this whole pit crew dance, you know. It, there's a lot of stuff. Everybody's got to be on cue with everything. And uh, just the way everything plays out, I mean, it all comes down to milliseconds. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Matthew, you know, six races, six different winners. We've seen new faces up there at the, at the top of the uh, leaderboard and in, in the point standings this year. I tell you what. This seems like one of the we're off to one of the best seasons in a long time. It's been a long time in NASCAR since we've had a, a season start off, you know, a year start off the way it is this year. How long do you think it's been? I mean, it's probably been what a good ten years since we started off something like this. Yeah, I would I mean, think so. going up, and that's what we need. Everybody's um, finding that with this new car, there's going to be some challenges, but at the end, it's putting people in the stands. It's bringing a whole new. I guess generation, you can call it back into the sport that we've been lacking. And, and with that happening, it's just, it's just going to keep growing. It's going to keep bringing more and more to the sport and uh, looking forward to how far we can get. Well, I tell you, you know, after watching all three races, I mean, at the end of that truck race, those trucks were, a lot of those trucks were pretty beat up and banged up and, um, and the, you know, the Xfinity race is good. And one thing I like about the cup cars, um, they got they have a whole different look this year, and I I was really impressed with what I saw. I told Don, I said, "Man, if these manufacturers could sell a car like that, you could buy an uh, you know off the showroom floor that looks like these Cup cars, it'd be a gold mine for some of these companies." You know. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody with NASCAR and then the manufacturers really creating and kind of going back to the old days, right? Race on Sunday, buy on Monday. I mean, exactly. if you side by side there's a lot of similarities yes obviously stock cars ain't stark but um what you're seeing out there body wise the nose every small detail that's in that car even from trucks to Xfinity, they, they're small details and and the way nascar is improving on those and making them look better um it's pretty amazing there, there's there's a lot of good positive things coming on to the sport and and i feel like there is some people listening one of the things that don and i were talking about is uh it seems like some of these veteran drivers and you mentioned it a while ago they're having their you know relearn 
uh, a new way of driving with this car. But it seems like a lot of these veteran drivers right now are under a lot of pressure to, to win. Some of these guys I, who I would have thought have already would have gotten a win this season haven't gotten a win yet. But to me, I, I think it's going to keep putting pressure on some of these veterans. And we may not see some of these veterans in the playoffs at the end of the season. I think so. I think you're going to see big talent not make it, and it's going to get frustrating. I think you're going to see to that point as we get closer and closer to that playoff, um, des- uh, you know, you have desperate drivers, and they're going to make desperate maneuvers. Um, I mean, we're all – everybody's got to be in, right? Win and you're in. Um if you go back and live the cup race, AJ and Ross battling out very hard. Um, I have my own opinions on that. Saturday I was with Ross in the Xfinity Series and we were going. Um, but I'm glad Ross was able to go and, and do what he had to do and get the win. Um, you know, and, and it's just everybody has has to step up a new level uh, driving-wise. And, and with that, I think, I think this is really going to bring some excitement. And I think a lot of fans – are going to be really turned back on to the sport and, and, and we're just going to keep improving. And like I said, ratings are going to keep going up and more spectators will be at the racetrack, which is something that we've lacked. Everybody we've lacked. And, you know, I think that's coming back. Well, you mentioned uh, you have your own opinion <laughs> on that finish, and and I won't. I mean, again, I'm not going to push you to say yours, but you opened the Pandora's box for me because it was one of the things that I wanted to bitch about. Uh, this uh, I told Mike yesterday. By the way, Mike and I we we've been saying this for weeks and weeks, actually since last season. We have some of the best conversations like two days or a day before, even sometimes the day of when we're recording. And he's always like, we should be recording this. We should be recording this. So last night I told him, I said, let's just change the name of the show. We're going to start calling it uh, Tracksmack Confessions. And we'll just record our phone conversations and just put that out there as a show. Because it's like all of a sudden we become brilliant. Like we have these great ideas and stuff. And then it's like, okay, which one of us is going to remember to, to bring that shit up? And we have to pretend like we didn't already talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. I always um, tell Don, we need to be running tape. Yeah, <laughs> we need to be running tape. Well, and actually he wants to get me in a bind is what it is because a lot of times – I just go off on a tangent, you know, and, and it's unedited, the whole shebang. Well, I've done it with you, too. So he's like, we should be running tape. Um, but I told him, OK, so I'll, I'll be unedited. Personally, I don't understand why it's even a conversation the way that the race ended. I'm I'm tired of the PC like driving gentleman's code. I understand that shit during the race, like three laps into a race or in the beginning of stage two. But my understanding of racing that I've always understood is last lap, especially last turn, it's anything freaking goes. I mean, and then especially if you get pushed first or you get bumped or you get turned, you have every right to get that position back. And, you know, in my opinion, but I've been on the end of it where my driver has gotten the raw end of the deal. But I've always said at the end of a race, to me, it's checkers or wreckers. That's what that's what the saying is. And I personally didn't see anything wrong with it. I thought that, you know, AJ initiated the moves and stuff they're going into it. And I just thought it was good, hard racing on a road course for the win. And I also think, too, um, and I'm sorry that I'm going extended, but I also feel like 
these guys are learning as they go with this car and what this car and the body of it can take the the beating and banging that it can take and I mean, this car's taking a beating. I mean, you know, that was, to me, it was just damn good racing. I don't know. I mean, you made it for, again, you've been a driver. I haven't. So. <laughs> well, what's the, what's the famous quote that everybody says? Drivers never forget, right? Right. They're going to hold something without going too much into my stuff and <laughs> professionalism. Just look at Saturday. It's all you need to know. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. Look, okay. If you all look right. at the day. That tells you everything you need to know. Oh, all right. Well, and and Mike and Mike and I even said this during our Tracksmack con- phone confessions. Um, <laughs> you know, here we here we go off of this road course onto three. I mean, back to back to back short track races. Um, and short tracks is usually where payback happens because you can get away with it and blame it on the track. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that's just short track racing, uh, especially at Bristol because nobody knows what the hell to expect once again on the dirt. So, you know, you can just get away with it. But I mean, Matthew, I was saying I told, you know, Mike, I'm I'm so stoked about Richmond. Richmond used to be one of my favorite tracks to go to. I've been to it like three or four times. Um I remember when the stands were packed, you you had especially the night race, you had great racing there. But I'm hoping for the day race here, I'm hoping that we get a little bit of what we saw at the Coliseum is is really kind of what I'm looking forward to seeing there. And especially at Martinsville, um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to play even more so what we saw. I just I didn't see anything. I'm just tired of this like, oh, you know, you can't move somebody or you can't rub or you. When, when did that happen? No. Yes, you can. And, and you especially can in the last turn coming down to the checkered flag. I mean, to me. Anything goes there. I, and I, I can say some stuff with that. Like, there's a respect thing, right? And if you look, we've we've definitely kind of gotten away to where the respect was, say, the, the uh, early 2000s, Mark Martin era, you know, when drivers would, you know, respect each other. Now, in a cutthroat sport, that's what we're in, right? We are in a cutthroat sport where – you have to prove and you have to perform or else there's people waiting. So yeah. you have to make some, some things happen, especially and I think this whole playoff system too. I mean, you literally have to do whatever it takes to get a win. And I think that's something that NASCAR created to have this. Mm-hmm. And on, honestly, you know, everyone's going to have their different opinions. So, but I think also with what you're saying as well, short tracks coming up, Richmond, Richmond's a fun track. Richmond's a tough track. Martinsville. Bristol, I'm going to bet you something, and I bet that it's going to be somebody totally under underexpected that's going to be limited on on horsepower, right? Somebody's going to come and win that race. Oh, that'll be exciting. Think about it. I mean, this car weighs more than it ever has, right? So let's think about Bristol for a second. You don't want a car that's going to be having so much power weighing that bit. You might, but... I, I just think sliding around somebody that has a little more grip and a little less horsepower is going to be doing something crazy. I really think that Martinsville, you're going to see feathers get ruffled. That's, you know, that's the nature of that beast there. Mm-hmm. It's always happened. Um, but that's also going to be a test. These next three weeks are going to be a test of the durability of that car. I mean, we saw what it did at the Coliseum. You know, we have different components um, on these, on these vehicles now. And it's going to be a big test and, and just a real, here's where we're at and this is where we're going. And, and 
I think fans need to look out for that. And, and I think teams are going to take a lot of information that they're going to be learning for these next three weeks, cup side, and, and really going forward. Speaking of the of the playoffs and everything, Don and I were talking about this. You know, we, we've had, like I mentioned a while ago, six races, six different winners. Matthew, what what would happen? Did we? Oh, there he is. I thought we lost you. What would happen if we have more than sixteen different winners this year? How does how does that work? Do you know with the points? I mean, we we could have seventeen or eighteen different winners. How does that work for the playoffs? Does it go, does it go back to points or do? Uh, yeah. Well, first off, that would be awesome for the sport if we had that. Right. Right. Like, oh, my, this is the best. But, yeah, no, everything goes back to points. Um, I guess I would imagine some goes back to wins, too. Who has the most at that point if there's a tiebreaker? Um, I imagine that's how they're going to do it. Okay. The other thing I was going to – well, I want to backtrack to Atlanta. Um, I, I was Im- so impressed with what I saw at Atlanta. I mean, we had – Pack racing, drafting. I mean, to me, that the, the, this new car on that track, I'm excited to look going forward to some of the uh, the, the bigger tracks, maybe like Michigan and and um, you know Pocono and and uh, even the Texas when they come for the All Star race. How the car is going to do on some of these other tracks? I mean, are we going to see good racing? You think? And, and I think so. Um, Atlanta was its own unique track. Everything package down to the way the track. Um, was made. It was fun. I mean, it's different. Who would have thought that we had ever seen super speedway racing on an intermediate track? Now, you're always going to have those people, right? Hey, no, nah, that's not for me. That's not what I like. At the end of the day, excitement and the entertainment and, and the way everybody is learning and, and growing, that's what it comes down to. This new car, the track, it, it was unbelievable. The other thing I was going to mention, you know, the fact that the playing field is more level to me, this gives some of the guys that normally don't run up front more confidence that they can get the job done and get the win. I mean, I would think that some of these guys that finish, you know, between 20th and 35th or whatever on a consistent basis, like last year, you got these guys finishing in the top 10 now. And, and we've, we've seen, you know, some of these guys get wins already. To me, it, it, for as a driver, I, I think having a more level playing field, I would be more confident that I could get a win in, in, in the Cup Series. Right. So this is a ruthless sport. One driver a weekend gets a win in their said series. Look at NFL. Look at basketball teams. Half of those teams are going to win, right? Mm-hmm. So with that, I mean, everything's – it's got to be a huge confidence boost. I know, like coming from last year, you always have those battles that you don't get to see on TV. You know, people running around 28th, 26th, right around there. People are battling each other for points, owner points. And who's going to be ahead come the end of the season? Locked in. Now you have cars that are up there racing for a higher positions. And, and that's got to be the biggest shot of morale for not only the driver, but the team. The owners, sponsors, everything that goes in with moving up, even three positions, is a huge deal money-wise, right? Everything. So I think as a driver, looking at that, I mean, it's huge confidence boots. Everything everything is just going to be better in your head. You're going to be a little clearer. You're going to be more aggressive. Like, hey, I want to continue doing well. 
So that's, that's what I think. That's that's the way I think if I was still a driver. And, that's, and it just goes back again. I mean, with with this new playing field, this new, I guess, even playing field, come to say, I mean, it's just it's just showing who can learn the fastest, who can adapt, and who's who's just going to take off with this car. That's all it's going to come down to. Mike said yesterday, this was another one of we thought our brilliant points, and he kind of mentioned it a few minutes ago. You've got a lot of frustrated veterans right now, and you can sense the frustration. You can sense the urgency. And what I told him is at the same time you flip the coin, and I sense a lot of eagerness and hunger in these guys that haven't always been up there, or the, and not just the younger guys. I'm talking about you know your mid-pack to back-of-the-pack guys now are looking at it and saying – shit, any week can be my week. Any week can be this team's week. You know, we just have to hit. Everybody's got to hit on getting the tire on, <laughs> keeping the lug nut on, you know, the wheel on, um, getting these amazing stops. And it, it can be anybody's race. And I said, I just think the dynamic is so interesting now because it's, you know, Mike and I are doing our fantasy, you know, our picks every week. And it's really kind of funny, some of the Hard names that we've been going with and, and not going with the usuals, you know? Yeah. Gone. I wanted to point out something about the car. And I want Matthew, uh, you'll probably um, agree to this. Um, the last two races, like at Coda the other day, there were 39 cars that started the race. That We had 32 cars on the lead lap at the finish on a road course. That's amazing. Uh, 13 lead changes among nine drivers. And then you, you go back to the Atlanta race. And this is what was really impressive. Um, 32 cars on the lead lap at the finish, I think, is what it was here. And then get this, 46 lead changes among 20 drivers. Th- that right there just tells me that, man, this 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 is a different ball game this year. And yeah, I love the it. The field has been up there leading laps. Yeah, I love it. And that just that explains everything right there. Um, this whole new aspect, this whole new car. I mean, it is changing the way this sport's been. You have to be up on the wheel, be aggressive, and it's it's exciting. We, we still got the rest of the season to go to see how crazy this season is going to be. Yeah, we're only six races in. You know, there's still 30 more to go. So, uh, Matthew, I know you and I, here we talk about the tracks back confessions, uh, phone confessions with Mike and myself. We've had our own uh, little confessions here <laughs> in conversations before. And uh, especially right after the first and second race of the season, I wanted um, – I couldn't wait to get you back on because I wanted you to kind of talk to our listeners about the fact I, – I, I guess the biggest elephant in the room, of course, would have been out of this race was Bubba Wallace, uh, the tire coming off there again – um, not getting that lug nut on. Booty Barker, uh, his crew chief now, been suspended for four races. I mean, fine, big time. Two more crew members suspended as well, which I know, you know, a lot of these teams are running kind of skeleton teams as it is. That's really, I mean, it's it's a big penalty. Um, you Then you had the penalty with Brad Keselowski and his team, which was huge. I mean, that, that penalty was, I mean, NASCAR, it, they ain't screwing around <laughs> um, with this. But you mentioned to me in our conversations, I, I think it was after the Coliseum that, um, which, because I made fun of you, is you didn't realize that there was more gas going into the car the first, <laughs> the first race. And so you're, you were talking and explaining to me as a gas man how you go off of a account is basically, you know, how, how you go. And then also how the jack man was really struggling there for the first couple of races because the car being heavier, uh, you had teams struggling to get the car up on their normal, what, one or two pumps <laughs> of the jack. Yeah. Um, 
what are some of the issues, you know, and, and that and then please try to explain to us what is the problem with getting this one lug nut on the car and getting it tight? I mean, what what is the issue that the tire changers are having? So let's just talk about that elephant, right? So the wheels are sports car wheels, per se. Um, on the backside of the wheel itself, you have the main the main hole mm-hmm. for that, that nut area. On the backside, you have slotted holes. On the brake rotor, you have, I guess you would call them forks or whatever that stick out. Mm-hmm. So those, those wheels have to go in that hole just as like a tire would have to go through the lug studs, right? The wheel would have to go and, and match up with the lug studs. Essentially, that's what you're doing on this new, this new car. Because the pit stops are so fast, I think that there might be times when people think that it's on and they're just they're zipping it on. And, and with that, I mean, so it's just going to fall off. So it's just a matter of maybe taking that little split second, that, that two-tenths of a second just to slow down, make sure it goes on, and then not have that penalty, not come out of, come away with your crew chief, your jackman, and whoever that changer is being penalized. I think that's that's just the biggest thing. Like when I did the 24-hour race, that was the biggest talk. Do not let the wheels fall off. And, and during that race last year, I was a rear tire changer. And and learning how that car and those wheels were, that first stop is like, man, I really hope I got that right. <laughs> but as you as as we're going to progress with these pit stops, we're going to progress as pit crew athletes. Um, I think that it's going to slow down a little bit. We're still only seven races in. We're going to be seven races this weekend, so there's still a lot to still be learned. We're still practicing. And, and figuring out how what's going to be the most efficient way, what's going to be still the fastest way, but making sure that we are not going to continue to lose our crew chief, our jackman, or a changer, whoever that may be, and not spend the money. Um, also, with what you said about Brad, NASCAR is done playing. Hey, we're at the top of the game, right? But also with that, you can't touch anything that these manufacturers have built for this car. You're going to try to get away with some stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, NASCAR has body panels. NASCAR has stuff. And if they think something's there, they're going to call it out. They're going to check. And if they see something, there's a red flag. And then there's the whole, the whole, we finish off with that whole pit crew, pit stop, everything. Like you said, at Daytona, we went from an 18 gallon fuel cell to a 20 gallon fuel cell. So that, that split second that we thought that, Hey, we're going to be good. No, I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> had to, to wait a little bit longer. So a can usually dumps in about seven seconds, right? Um, and each can weighs about roughly 95 pounds. So that seven seconds is dumping 12 gallons of fuel into that car. So with the pit stops being faster, we're seeing nine, 10 second stops. That's a lot of math. That's a lot of stuff that's got to be done in that quick a time. Um, you're seeing a lot of fuel men really understand, like, hey, these pit stops are on us now. Yes, we can have fast pit stops. We can change tires. We can do all this in nine seconds. But if that car is not full, then what? So it's created a whole new thing, created a whole new level of of appreciation for fuel men. And it's, it's been fun. Um, as far as the jacking stuff, yeah, that car is heavy. We've increased it a couple hundred pounds. I mean, a couple hundred pounds as a jack. It's quite a bit. Um, so the left sides are usually 
the heavier side with that is going to take one or two pumps and, and the way these cars droop in the suspension it, it's it's going to depend on on how many pumps you're going to have to do road courses you want everything to kind of be a little longer um and droopier so that way when you hit the the turtles the bumps and the car rolls you can keep those wheels back on the ground so so engineers and and team crew members have a lot still to learn with how far they can push it um and even pit crew guys it all depends on on how far we can take that car up as fast as we can and continue the pit stop so they're still like i said we're still learning we're still having fun and uh it's it's been exciting so far and did y'all have you just have y'all stayed with uh the traditional pit stop or did y'all try to switch it up at atlanta like some of the other teams were doing and um where i heard that you you know you were going to have this extra large or extra long hose air hose and stuff that they were dealing with because i guess they were changing the direction and did we even see a lot of that because that was like a big talk going in and i can't remember mike and i were coming back from the Texas race. So we didn't get to see a whole lot of it. And I don't know if there was a lot of focus on the television side of it. So, um, I, I, I didn't know how many teams, you know, really have kind of changed their choreography and, and gone to pitting differently. Most of the teams are pitting the same. Okay. Um, the way that one organization was running personally, a lot of people that I know, and, and, and even my perspective, it's not safe. What happens if a car hits that hose? I mean, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of people. It's going to hurt some people. Um, kudos to them for trying it, being faster. Uh, us personally, we're going to take it the way we were and continue our normal classic pit stop. We'll wrap up with, I want to go back to when uh, Mike asked you about the championship deal. Um, again, I got a little opinionated on that. I, I understand. I know that it'll go to kind of like a tiebreaker scenario points thing, but I, I, I don't think it should. I think if you win, you're in. That's what the rule is. And so to me, if we go into race 27 with 19 winners, let's just say, okay, 19 different winners. So let's say we had three extra guys. I still think you go into it with the three extra guys in the playoffs and you still you just go down to uh, you still have the same elimination, you know, in the in the next what what is it? Three races or whatever it is, four races, however it is that we break it down. You'll still go down to 12 drivers, you know, so we may just be eliminating eight guys instead of six or whatever. But I think personally that the rule should be if you win, you're in (laughs) now if if a guy gets multiple wins through the seat then of course yes then he's seated higher up in in the rankings but if we're putting all of this emphasis on wins which was the point of of doing that of giving you your spot into because remember it used to go even the chase still went on play a, a win didn't guarantee you a spot when the chase first you know originated it was still kind of based on a point system in a, in a sense then they gave you that spot you know if you won you were in uh kind of deal so I don't think you should penalize guys because they, you know, if you get a win later in the year, let's say you get that win at Daytona in that final race and there's already 16, you know, we've already had 16 winners or whatever. Why should you be any less of a person, you know, your win not matter as much as somebody else's win? I I just feel like they need to let as many of them in. If I mean, hell, if everybody got a win, let's have. 35 guys, 37 guys race, and we have 12 spots. It'll be very interesting, those first four races. <laughs> Pretty 
Oh, for sure. I think, you know, I think that's where consistency comes in, right? And and that's that's the hardest part. Like, yeah, when you win, that that would be that'd be amazing, right? Everybody would have their their shot. You won, but then you also have to look at that aspect. Like, yeah, you got that win, but where have you consistently finished the points wise? See, that's that's where that's where it gets confusing, and that's that's sometimes where like, oh well, I don't know. It's just it's a whole new whole new different ball game when you. When you break down the points, when you when you start talking, but I think it'd be cool. You win, you're in. But we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. I know. And let's be honest. Let's hope. Let's hope that we have that many drivers. Let's hope we have a situation like that. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I'm. I'm totally down for it. Like I said, I. Uh, because there's a few guys out there that I feel like I. Like I said, I feel Daniel Suarez is a week or two away from being the next track house guy in victory lane. I don't think Ross is a one and done. I think you'll see multiple wins from him. I find it very interesting that chase Elliott hasn't is, is the one guy there at Hendricks that hasn't won yet. Again, the Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, um, you know, people throw Harvick in there. To me, Harvick's been on the downward slide for a couple of years now. So it doesn't shock me that he's, you know, doesn't have a win there yet. I'm all for it. And I'm all for all these new guys, you know, getting in there and getting wins too. I think it's a matter of time. Kurt Busch, the way he's been running, I think Kurt will have a, a win here for uh, 2311. Matthew, I feel like we're, it's kind of like the, the March madness kind of thing that we have going on now with NASCAR. It's, it's anybody's game. It's just who comes out and, and wants it that tiny bit more and has luck on their side at the same time. I mean, it's just kind of like that. And that's what I love because it's not like every week we're going, Oh God, here we go. We're going to Richmond. So, okay, well this is going to be a Kyle Larson race or, you know, like you're already calling, you already know who's going to win it. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's awesome that it's up in the air every week and you just don't know. And, and I'm sorry, but there's a small part of me that when I see Kyle Busch spend twice in like a matter of two minutes or Denny Hamlin's struggling or you know some of these veterans that I don't sit back and chuckle and and enjoy it I really do it's nice it, it is nice now that we've known for years yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely evil evil <laughs> but well we appreciate you uh you joining us and we look forward to uh to what the cars and stuff will do out here at Richmond so again Richmond Martinsville um and then Bristol uh, my advice to you at Richmond, I think they still sell them. Go get you one of the donut cheeseburgers. Have you had one of those out there yet? First off, oh, where, where is, how come that has not been told to me and how many times I've been going to Richmond? Yeah, it was like the Krispy Kreme cheeseburger. That's where it started. Well, I remember mm-hmm. Richmond always had it. And then I I don't know if you remember, Matt, because you were probably like five when you were listening to the show when I was there in San Antonio. But I uh, – uh, had because Mike was out of town. Mike, I want to say this is when you went to Atlanta. The weekend Love you went him. to Atlanta, uh, Dylan Emery sat in. Uh, the blue collar sports dad sat in with us, and I made Krispy Kreme cheeseburgers and brought them in, and I made Krispy Kreme brats. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Let's just try this too. Um, and beer, and we had that at ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, that sounds about right. That sounds good. A good combination. But uh, have you had any Martinsville hot dogs? Oh. Uh, oh, for 25 this year. What do you think? Then we can do it with, with the races, practice, truck, and expanding anything. I can do 25. Do you like those things? Hey, when you're hungry, they're good. That's oh. what they, yeah, that's what they say. 
<laughs> I can't get over the color of them. It's going to be in your mouth. You don't get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that uh, that might be the quote for the end of the show. I'm just saying. You know how I like to add my little tidbits at the end of the show? That's going to be it. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate everything. Look if I had me. a nickel for every time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Now we're, we're all the way. We're some other state. Now we're just we're just forgetting what happened. <laughs> Look for me fueling the 42 truck of Nice Motorsports, the 92 car of DGM Racing, and the 27 Cup car when we hit the road courses again with Team Heisberg. All right. Well, Matthew Camp, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll be watching you out on pit road uh, there in Richmond. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Y'all enjoy your evening. So much fun. I love when we get oh, to talk yeah. with Matt. He's he's a good guy. He is a great guy. A good kid. Yes, he is. And, and he was a kid when he started first listening to us many years ago, which makes us feel really old. <laughs> I, well, and you know what? It makes me feel – and here, here, you know, I had to – I kind of held back on my inappropriateness and then I just had to go there with, with his comment that he made, you know, you, you just can't, you can't pitch that softball up there and not expect me to knock it out of the park. I'm just saying, right. um, but then it makes me go back. He and I will talk a lot, you know, off the air and stuff uh, throughout the weeks. And, and we talked, we used to talk about the fact that he did start listening to us when he was in middle school. And I'm just thinking to myself, Oh my God, <laughs> like some of the things that I've said, you know, <laughs> And here's this kid from middle school listening. Oh, but, uh, but that was probably back when we were on the actual radio station. So oh, we had, yeah, for sure. We had an FCC uh, rules and guidelines we had to <laughs> abide by. That we, I didn't mean I wasn't pushing the envelope. Oh, I know you were pushing the envelope, <laughs> especially when you were producing the Chris Dill show and everything. And or Mike Taylor show. Well, don't Mike you remember Taylor. that would have been back in the days when I talked about uh that I, one way that i different from or differed from danica was vibration was good remember <laughs> we yeah well, I, remember, I remember the megaplex commercials you used to do the spot for and um hey you know <laughs> i ain't too proud no i'm just yeah. kidding. don't act like you know the show ain't about goody two shoes and stuff no. <laughs> that's right <laughs> Oh, you know, the stories we could tell. I have to get our jollies, or and so what better? You know, do it with a great store that would give you good deals. And that's they right. Hooked, they hooked the sister up for for, yes, for talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh anyway. man, it's going so, downhill quick. Yes, yes, it is. Well, so let, let's let's kind of pull it back here um, and talk <laughs> Richmond. <laughs> where Richmond, the first track I ever went to, where I saw a goat on a leash in the infield. <laughs> <laughs> wow I, mean, I figured that would be something you'd see at talladega yeah or at the adult video megaplex possibly i um, you know i don't know it's whatever you're into mike i don't judge uh, a, goat, a goat on leash in the infield huh yep yep definitely wow. yeah so um yeah you know what now that you say that that is a talladega the only thing missing to make it a perfect talladega story would be like the lady walking it is a one-legged prostitute or something because well, i've heard true. those stories at, at talladega too um <laughs> i'm not even joking so anyway uh but let's fast forward here and look forward to richmond uh do you want to give your picks do you want to discuss anything with with richmond well i you know we're, we are hitting the short tracks now three in a row uh, richmond martinsville and um bristol and i know bristol's gonna be dirt and that's a little little different than running on the pavement there but uh but as far as richmond go don we always have good racing here and i think with this new car i'm hoping that we'll have some really good side by side uh beating and banging 
I'm looking at the the point standings, and I'm looking at who's won and and, and who's who hasn't, and who's uh, trying again. So I'm gonna go. Um, oh man, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Joey Logano for the win. Okay. Uh, Chase Elliott's gonna be my my long shot, and then I'm gonna go down the the list here, and I'm gonna pick. Uh, he's in striking distance and getting a win. And I'm gonna go Eric Jones. He's been up there, and I mean, look at how yeah. well he ran at, at the Coliseum. So yeah, that he did. I didn't think about that. Um, you know what? I am gonna go. I know they're saying Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott are the favorites, you know, here and stuff. And you know it's going to be a matter of time before – I mean, Kyle, of course, has already gotten a win. You know it's just a matter of time before Chase gets that win that he needs as well. But I'm not going to pick either one of them. I'm going to go with another guy that I feel like is just a moment away from getting a win. He's been up there battling. Uh, I'm going to say Tyler Reddick. You know, he ran really well at the Coliseum as uh, there. I'm going to say Tyler Reddick for the win. I'll say um, Ryan Blaney would be my next, would yeah. be my long shot. And my really, really, really dark horse. Um, and, I, and again, I don't even feel like he's really a dark horse in it, but I'll, I'll go Daniel Suarez. I'm going to keep going. Suarez got something because yeah. I just feel like he's very, very close uh, to getting a win as well. So He definitely is close. Hey, before we wrap it up here, um, the NHRA returns this weekend. They're doing the four wide nationals at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the strip there, where they race all four cars down the track at the same time. If you've never seen anything like that, check it out. It's on Fox or FS1. Some of it's going to be on one one day on one and one day on the other, I believe. But uh, I'll have coverage at racedaysa.com. And then maybe next week we can get talk talk about it uh they announced that another track uh, drag strip is closing. This one is the Wild Horse Motorsports Park in um, in uh, Tucson, I think, is where or Phoenix, one of the two. They just had the race here a few weeks ago. I think it's in Phoenix. That track is closing. Don, this is three drag strips in the last year. Atlanta Dragway, Houston, the track in Houston is going to be closing, and I'm be covering that race in April, and then now this one. So. I'm starting to really worry about the NHRA, and we'll get into it maybe next week. Get somebody on and talk about it. They're starting to lose some of their their tracks, and that's going to really have an effect on the drag racing series in 2023. So, uh, not good for tracks to go away. And by the way, uh, Chicagoland Speedway, I understand that that place is for sale, and that that facility might be uh, closing down as well. So, a lot of talk on Twitter the other day about that one. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. Thanks again so much once again for for tuning in, and thanks to Matthew Kemp uh, for joining us as well. And you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy Richmond, and we'll talk with you next week. It's going to be in your mouth. You don't get to see it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.